Today on CityCast Boise, we're talking to Dan Prenzing from the Wasmus Center about their new human rights building, named after former Governor Phil Batt, and how Dan stays positive in the face of increasing hate in Idaho. It's Tuesday, November 8th, 2022. I'm Emma Arnold, and this is CityCast Boise. Thanks so much for being here. Oh, thank you, Emma. And I understand that congratulations are in order. You are retiring. Congratulations on that. I am. Yes. That's all code word for being really well seasoned. (laughs) Well seasoned. (laughs) I like that. How exciting. Well, let's talk about this new center. So it's going to be named after former Republican Governor Phil Batt. And a lot of younger people probably don't know, or people new to Boise don't know about Phil Batt since he was governor in the 90s. But why name the center after him? If we're looking at the state's human rights history, it all ties to Phil Batt. It's not because he was a former governor. It is because of who he is as a person. He has modeled what we all should be as we continue to promote and protect human rights. So what specifically in Phil Batt's personal and professional life stands out to you? For me, I immediately think of how he vetoed anti-abortion legislation in 1998. But what else personally and professionally comes to mind? As a private citizen, he had belonged to the Elks Club. When the Elks Club would not admit a good friend of Phil's who happened to be Japanese-American because they had a whites-only policy, Phil resigned. Wow. He canceled his membership. It is because of Phil Batt that we have the Human Rights Commission in the state of Idaho. So the state commission that deals with any issue of discrimination in housing and workforce. He sponsoring and signed the legislation to protect farm workers, providing workers compensation, something that for 70 years prior had never been done. And he championed that cause that we needed to protect farm workers. He coming on record, add the words that the protections should be extended to all members of the Idaho community and that to deny our LGBTQ population the protections in housing and workplace, he sent personally did not understand it and condemned those who continued to fight against him. He also came out uh, very solidly condemning militias. Mm. He said, we have a National Guard if we need a militia with that, but those that are out there to be violent or to propagate hate He condemned him and he stood up against it. And I could go on. He had a number of examples as a professional, but really it is at the heart of who he is. Yeah, just a very decent man. To your point with it, as we have talked with those who have grown up with, you know, he was from rural Idaho, an onion farmer with it. But two words that we consistently hear, civil and respect. Mm really missing that now. Oh, yes. So he's 95 now, and he was at your groundbreaking event that you held in October. What was that like? A year ago, we actually did a formal ground blessing. And this is where we invited the descendants of Boise Valley's original people. And so representatives from the three tribes that actually came to be with us, bless the ground in which the work 
takes place with it. But to launch the construction, we did a beam signing, literally oh. a beam that will be installed in the new building and it will be a visible beam. And so not only having the dignitary sign, but members of the community to be a part of it because this really is a community human rights center. And so the fact that Philbat came out for it, he doesn't go out a lot anymore, but the fact that he made a public appearance to be there, to be the first signature on the beam, Certainly a very special moment for us, and I know it was for him. Literally, as I was telling folks, he was beaming at the beam signing. Oh, <laughs> oh that's very sweet. I know you faced a little bit of uh, criticism from certain folks mm-hmm. for having uh, Butch Otter and current Governor Brad Little there. Could you talk a little bit about that? Well, of course, they were there paying tribute to their mentor, which was Phil Bat. But I think what we have to keep in mind is the Wasma Center is an education center. And frankly, we're going to take any opportunity we get to educate. And so, yes, we had a number of dignitaries, some with questionable human rights records, even within state, but they were there. And frankly, they were among the audience to hear the remarks that were said. And so we felt very fortunate. We had an opportunity to get them in the audience, to have them there. And that's always been a hallmark of the Wasma Centers. We hope to be that place of conversation. We recognize these are polarized times, but what are the moments where we can come together and have a conversation? Where are the moments where we can draw those that might not necessarily always be in a full agreement with you, but to stand and to listen, Mm. just to be present with that? And I I understood some of the criticism uh, we were getting, but frankly, it was not a moment about them. It was a moment about us and the fact that we got them to be there in the audience to listen to the importance of what human rights in Idaho are about. Just backing up a little, for people who don't know the history of the center, can you tell us what we need to know about the founding and and how it started? So it is the only memorial to Anne Frank in the United States, one of the few places in the world with the full declaration for human rights and public display and recognized as an international site of conscience. In 1995, there was an exhibit traveling in the United States called Anne Frank in the World. That exhibit was brought to Boise, and in one month's time, over 50,000 people attended the exhibit. And it was that exhibit that planted the seeds to build the memorial. So today, we're providing all programming and resources on-site in the memorial. Off-site, we're in classrooms, companies, communities throughout Idaho. And because of our online presence, we're now reaching national and international with our programming. Mm. So what will the new building do for the community that you as the Wasmuth Center aren't doing right now? We've never had physical space to conduct in-person programming, physical space to welcome a community in. Uh, We always had a very small office where the work was getting done, but literally any presentation, any workshop, we were outsourcing. We were all over the valley for wherever we could gain space with it. So far, and now we've been in operation in almost 25 years now to have our own physical house where we can invite folks in to allow that building to really be, as I said before, a place of conversation. It'll also have a large welcome area. We give docent-led tours to over 10,000 students, adults each year. So here's a welcome desk to start launching those tours. 
But the memorial also gets 120,000 visitors a year. Oh, wow. So here's a space then where folks can come in. Where we get really excited, though, it's look, talking about the upstairs in the building because that is the community human rights classroom. Integrated technology flipped the switch. Now it's a hybrid, so we can go both Zoom and in person. A permanent exhibit room, research library, conference room, catering kitchen. I mean, that becomes that real vibrant space that the vision is for a new depth of programming in person. Your whole mission, it's centered around human rights, but I, I'm wondering, so for many people... It feels right now like human rights aren't really a priority in Idaho. In fact, there's a lot of reason to feel like human rights aren't like have gone backwards in Idaho with anti-trans legislation, reproductive rights being taken away, lots of anti-Semitic and anti-black and brown uh, BS, for a lack of a better word. Uh, (laughs) But what do you say to that? That's why we're here. And that's why we know our work is not done. Mm -hmm. I always said the greatest thing we could accomplish is to no longer be necessary. But until that day comes... We know our work is not done. And of course, we're, you know, we're nonprofits, so we're donor funded. It's individuals, businesses, and foundations that sustain that work. But what are they consistently telling? It's the importance of the work for all the reasons you just outlined there. That as long as acts of anti-Semitism, as racism occur, as long as pieces of legislation are marginalizing, are targeting members of our community, there's the greater need for a WASMA Center to continue to educate on the issues. But how do you personally stay positive when it can feel like there's so much hate in this state? Like, where do you find the light? It's a good question. I mean, as I introduced as being well-seasoned, I moved to Boise in 1964. (laughs) So this is my home. I've traveled extensively. I've worked around the world with it, but this is home with it. And I carry it because I also carry hope. It has to get better. It can get better. You know, there's a, a line out of Anne Frank's diary just a matter of weeks before they were rounded up and sent to the camps. And she said, where there is life, there is hope. And that's what the Wasma Center has always strived to be, is to be that place of hope that we will not allow the voices of darkness to dominate the narrative, that we have to be the hope. Uh, we use the example, you know, Bill Wasmuth, Catholic priest, standing up against the Aryan compound in North Idaho in the late 70s and 80s. And what did we learn from Bill? Well, sometimes the voices of good just have to get a little louder. Sometimes we need to be able to stand a little taller and not shrink away from the darkness, from the hate. And why will we consistently allow a stain of hate to become our reputation? Well, you're the first person uh, to make me cry (laughs) 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 while interviewing. That's uh, very, they're very moving. I have to to live in a place of hope. If not, I think these times uh, could become pretty hopeless. And I refuse to, I I cannot live that way. You know, so I get accused of having my rose-colored glasses and how I look at the world. But, you know, there's a big difference between optimism and hope Hmm. because hope requires action. Hope requires something on my part. And so that's why even our programming and trying to foster a culture of upstanders. Okay, when you hear, when you witness injustice, what are you going to do? What are you going to do in that moment? It's your choice with it. In a spirit of hope, you're going to take action to make a difference. Well, I it makes me feel very good that with your retirement coming up, you're you're clearly feeling pretty hopeful about human rights improving after you 
you retire. Does that is that true? That is true. That is true because what uh, what's the alternative? Mm. Yeah. I refuse to live in that space. And so that's going to continue to require our effort. We have to be in the game on it. You and I don't have to do the same thing. Yeah. And I think for many folks, they've kind of been in a season of determining what's their thing. Mm-hmm. But each of us need to do something. Yeah, that's such a good point that I, I think sometimes people can feel overwhelmed by what actions they can take and feeling like they need to do everything when it's like yeah. some people are communicators, you know, some people are boots on the ground, like find your strength and then give that back to your community. Uh, we saw that it really became very poignant after the murder of George Floyd and so many folks in the community were reaching out to us feeling like I need to do something now. What can I do? So what do we say? Well, we saw a lot of people marching in the streets. That was their thing. That's what they were doing. A lot of people were donating to organizations doing the work. A lot of people were educating themselves. You know, we look at what was on the bestseller list the summer of 2020. A lot of people were having tough discussions at home. That's when I reflected back when there was a human rights advocate, when she was asked, how do you protect and promote human rights? Her response, you start by convincing a friend. In other words, we start with those who are closest to us. So right after the murder of George Floyd, I had a young businessman in town came to me and he said, man, Dan, he said, I need to be doing more. I don't want this just to be a moment. This needs to be the start of a movement. I need to be doing more. And I caused him pause. I said, hey, you're raising four kids. How are you raising them? They are our future. I said, start with the people closest to home, our kids, our neighbors, our expanded community. If we each did that, Emma, what would be the ripple effect? Well, Dan, thank you so much for coming on today. Such a wonderful talk that we've had. Keep in touch during your retirement. I can't wait to hear how relaxed you are. (laughs) (laughs) That will be an interesting discovery. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thanks, Dan. Bye-bye. Thank you, Emma. Thank you. Happy Election Day! Remember, polls are open at 8 a.m. and close at 8 p.m. We'll be here tomorrow with an early morning episode breaking down the results. That's all for today here on CityCast Boise. Be sure to tell your friends and neighbors about us. Let's keep building this community. See you back here tomorrow.